This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Dawn Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity and Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. Today, we go on the record with an amazing singer-songwriter whose songs have been recorded by Bonnie Raitt, The Chicks, Trisha Yearwood, Keb Moe, Cher, Art Garfunkel, and many more. She shares her experience of writing for Songwriting for Soldiers and reveals the inspiration behind the lyrics of her song, Death by Perfection. People have been asking me how they can get on this podcast. It helps a lot to have written and sung the theme song. Coming up, is my talented friend who is sharper than cheddar and cooler than the flip side of the pillow. Stay tuned for Maya Sharp. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free. You're captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. Thank you so much for having me and for saying all those wonderful things that now I have to live up to in the next hour. Oh, you already fell into the trap of the artist self-sabotage <laughs> right off the introduction. I'm already spiraling. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's funny when you walk into someone's house, the first thing they say, oh, it's not always this messy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just think you're super cool and I think everybody needs to know it. Well, thank you. I guess there's so many things that we that I want to discuss that uh, cover areas of the creative world, but I guess maybe right off, maybe from you, what kind of definition, what does creativity mean to you? To me, it means being wide open and being brave in the face of your potential vulnerability, seeing what might actually be in there and being ready for it to suck because it probably will for a little while, but those are the stepping stones that will hopefully get you to something that has a, a little more meaning in it. I'm learning along the way to all of the things that I get out of the sharing of a story and a song. I used to think that it was more of a craft forward way. Like I'm going to make this airtight song where the, you know, the phrasing lands exactly right and the rhymes are perfect. And it says this thing that maybe started with a seed of the truth, but that I probably morphed a little bit to be something that I thought would be more kind of universally accepted or that I thought more people would be able to relate to it because it was more of a universal theme. As I get older, I realize that the more personal and real and just on the nose it is, even if I thought that it was this weird thing that maybe I thought I was the only one that was feeling this way, which is never, ever true one time. <laughs> like If I'm feeling it, somebody else has probably felt it at some point. So now, you know, I stick to the real stuff as often as I can. And those, surprisingly at first and not surprisingly anymore, those songs tend to be the ones that really hit hard. Those are the ones, whether, and I don't know if people are actually relating to the exact same thing that happened to me or if they're just hearing the authenticity in it. I'm not sure. But now the real thing and staying as real as I can 
is really my favorite way to write and is doing wonders for me too. Like I get all of this stuff out and I get it out in its real form. I get to put it in either like on a page or, you know, on the hard drive and then it's over there and it's not necessarily on me anymore. I don't have to carry it all around. So, so for me, the creativity that just being able to practice it. And I know that I'm very, very fortunate in that way because not everybody gets to do this all day like I get to do it. So I am always, always thankful for that. Well, here's the thing that's I, I think is really important. You tapped into the idea that it isn't always about the results of a song as expected. It's more the art of expression, getting out truthful notes, grace notes in your life, whether they're hard to express or not. It's no longer that sort of projected result driven. This is going to be the song I intend. It's more allowing yourself to express, which is finding honesty and truth as it's driving personal sort of a therapy at the same time as a sharing for the audience, right? So the listening is so much richer when it comes from truth. Yeah. And for years, I think I thought that approaching songwriting that way was, you know, just kind of self-indulgent. Like, why do we want to hear your exact personal story? Like, why don't you write something we can all relate to? And it turns out that those more exact personal (laughs) stories, whether it's just because of how they are being expressed and they are clearly being sung and written from the point of view of somebody who lived it, or that just you never know who else lived that weird little thing, (laughs) you know? So that's kind of the new, like, okay, maybe that wasn't so self-indulgent. Maybe I was kind of hard on my friends when I thought that they were writing in a selfish way. (laughs) Like, maybe we all need to hear those stories, and I'm finally getting there. Yeah, because it's not as simple as just saying how you feel, because to write about being hurt Mm -hmm. is too vulnerable for most people. Mm -hmm. Any kind of art where you're trying to be result-driven, where if you go, I'm going to sit down and write the ultimate love song, and you put all the lovey words in it, it's not the same as the giddy, daring do you feel that crazy shit you do when you're in love and you don't know if the other person loves you as much. Like it's hitching into that, whatever that little part of the fabric is that's in all of our bodies. Yeah. Or finding a layer in there, like I'm a little fucked up, but thank you for loving me. Or I know that you're a little fucked up, but you're awesome. (laughs) Or (laughs) we somehow, you know, fix, fix each other a little bit, or we don't. And we just kind of recognize there's just always, always layers. And that's good news and the bad news about humans. There's always more. (laughs) One of the things that fascinates me is wordplay as a comedian, but also words in general, the idea of how evocative words create emotions, like the selection of words and how important that is in lyric writing. I am a junkie for words and for that string of words that just hits you in the gut. I have to work for that. I'm not usually one of those writers who are like, it's flowing. <laughs> and <laughs> I just heard this on my walk. <laughs> like, no, there's this thing that I really want to say, and I'm probably going to, you know, have to toil over it for an hour or two or a day or a week. But I love it. I, I know how it feels when it lands. I tend to stick with it until I feel the landing, until I hear the click, which often can be a, a while. Well, I mean, I think searching for the right sort of sense-bound imagery just to create that maximum emotional impact is bow hunting. You get that arrow back and you wait and you look around and like it's, there's a lot more to it than just scrabbling through your thesaurus and finding a different word for the word you have, because it has to sing well, it has to scan right, 
It has to mean what you want it to mean. It could be a big distraction, I imagine, if you play with words and they're not anchored on the song, on the truth of the song. Right. I mean, I think if you're really doing your job, you start setting the bar higher and higher. Like, oh my God, I have this verse that I just love. Like, I would lie down on the tracks for this verse. This has to be in the song. But now my second verse has to be just as good or better. Oh, shit. <laughs> and so, and now the chorus has to, you know, incorporate everything. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> but when you really love that potential impact that just words can have, then if you don't reach it, it feels like a tragedy. <laughs> so, you know, you got to stay on it. You got to stay in there. And I feel like so much of that can be accomplished with more time spent. I think a lot of people could reach that place where they write a story or a book or a poem or a song that really lands hard with other human beings. And so much of it, so often, it's just like you're just going to have to spend more time that than you thought you would, and it might get uncomfortable, and you might have wanted to, you know, to go do other things. But if you really want this to be awesome, a few more hours or a few more days, and it will be. I think you're speaking to discipline, because as an artist of any kind, you begin to create, you're slapping paint, making mm -hmm. a music, you're doing whatever, and it's fun. In the beginning, it's a lot of fun. And then when it becomes your job, you realize, oh, I have to work as much at this art as people do at their jobs. It's not a love-hate, but it's a, you've done six solo albums at least. I think I'm up to eight now. Eight, okay. So the point is, you reface that blank page. You reface that spinning wheel with nothing on it and have to put clay on it and decide what it's going to be. And it doesn't get easier, really, because you become a tougher taskmaster on yourself to make a better piece of art. Yeah, which you should, right? I mean, don't you want to be better when you're 40 than when you're 20? Yeah, the challenge is to me is, you know, it's also the greatest release because I've talked to some other folks about imposter syndrome and feeling like a fraud and so forth. And we all face moments where you go, what am I doing in this area? Right. I'm working in something that's bigger than I can handle. That is not true, but are you willing to face the challenge, right? Are you willing to find a way to cross the gorge? It can get really easy to kind of lose the handle on the coffee pot, like lose sight of what constitutes successful. So you're doing this thing, and especially if you're working alone sometimes, and I'm actually used to working with other people a lot. I think I'm mostly collaborated. I only wrote alone maybe one or two songs per album, and of all of the songs that I've had recorded by other artists, I think I only wrote one of those alone. I love to write with other artists. For those who don't know, you have written and you have collaborated with the likes of Art Garfunkel and Cher and Trisha Yearwood, Bonnie Raitt, many people. So maybe you can speak to how you manage a relationship in co-writing. I know it's different for each person, but what is the contract socially together when you're writing a song? Yes, I want to answer that. I want to finish my thought on the when you find yourself oh. alone, because if I don't, it'll just be gone forever. No, no, let's let's do that now. When you are doing your art alone, for a, especially for a while, <laughs> it's easy to kind of lose sight of like, what does achievement mean? Like, when have I succeeded in this? Is like when I got on the radio, that's kind of old school at this point. If I get a sync placement, 
is that success? Oh, if I don't have that, am I not succeed? It's like, it's really easy to spiral out. And like, am I just like working alone in, in a sandbox here? And you know, does anybody want to see my castle? Like <laughs> These little things, at least for me, these unexpected things have come along, never the thing that I planned. And I also learned somewhere in the last few years, trying to plan where I'm going to be and where I want to be is really just a joke because the thing that it turns out I really love and the thing that feels like the most rewarding part of my job is like something that didn't even exist when I was making my plan. So it's just like, okay, knees bent, trust that if you're head down and you work hard, something good is going to show up and stop trying to write what that thing is going to be. Hopefully it will show. So Lately, for me, I've been writing for an organization called Songwriting with Soldiers. And I'm working with anywhere from one to seven veterans at a time, which is not exactly that like, I'm going to be famous, you know. <laughs> like, it is the smallest audience. And as far as the number of people affected in that one songwriting evening, it seems like a small impact, but then it ends up really being the largest impact. It feels the most real. It's authentic. It's for them. It's for me. Everybody is changed. There is a transaction on that night. It's not just like, I wrote this song and now it's waiting on my hard drive for somebody to love it. There's this thing that we did. I got to use this odd thing that I do where if you tell me a story, I can I can make a song out of it. I get to use that in the moment and it's real. And then it's not, you know, up on Spotify. It's not available for sale. It shouldn't be. It was for this very specific thing. And that happened and that worked. And it just it is so rewarding. I just flew back from one a couple hours ago. For those who don't know, it's very healing where songwriting for soldiers is where you're teamed up with veterans and soldiers or mm -hmm. their families, and they pair professional songwriters with these soldiers to help bring their story or their experience you know, to life in a song, which seems to me can be healing for all, right? For you, for them, for the listener, in the family, whatever. It's just a I guess it's a way to sort of bring out the, all those emotions. Yeah, and all they have to do, which is not a small feat at all, they just need to share their story. It isn't like a songwriter workshop or anything. Like we're not, you know, trying to show them how to write the song. They share whatever they want to share, and we we write a song out of that. And I think this experience, I've been writing for them for about three years now, I think it has really contributed to me realizing that a story about a specific person or event or a moment of hurt can be universal because they are telling me things that of course I did not experience, but there's something about it. There's something in the kind of umbrella experience of it and the message that they got out of it that I can relate to. So if that specific of of a thing if their experience that so few of us have have had can translate into a wallop can hit you know like a sock in the gut i had one a couple months ago and one of the veterans was talking about how he didn't feel fully known after he got home oh my god it's like okay dude we're talking this is just a general 
issue, <laughs> you know? And it felt very specific to him. He was almost like, he's kind of hesitant to even offer it up. And they all agree. They all nodded. I'm nodding. Like, yeah, <laughs> we're, yes, let's go there. So, yeah, I think they, I mean, they have taught me so much in these last three years about how what sounds like a specific thing, some like intensely personal is probably going to land with a lot of people, whether they experience that firsthand or not. You know, you asked me about the collaboration, and this all kind of goes hand in hand also. You know, the collaboration with another songwriter. And I think since I started writing, I was writing with with other songwriters. So probably for 28 years or so. And I love it because you always get a little something fresh. You know, it can keep you from kind of going to the same places lyrically, I always learn from, you know, whoever I'm writing with. And it also kind of gives your song twice as many chances of maybe being heard, you know, because they're out there too working the song. My very first cut was because my co-writer, Mark Addison, had a publisher. I didn't have a publisher yet, but his publisher could get to Cher's producer. So my co-writer is why I got my first cut with Cher. And if I had just been writing alone in my room... It wouldn't happen, you know? Right. You'd be singing to a share poster. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Which I got after the cut. But <laughs> Matthew's my very favorite. <laughs> well, you've written with so many people. I do know that we have a mutual friend in Georgia Middleman. Was she the one that you wrote Death by Perfection with? Yes. That speaks to the P word, right? Earlier yeah. you said you don't want to say the P word. So yeah. I didn't want to let that song get away from us today. But Death by Perfection, essentially it talked about somebody else. It sounded almost like a corporate person or something. Mm -hmm. They polish it and they straighten the lines of the curves and they do whatever until they see their own reflection in it and they're happy with it, but you're unhappy. So maybe tell us a little bit about that feeling of maybe how you creatively die a little bit when you're doing it for pay or however that song came about. Well, this is a little old school now compared to you know, how things are now, but, and I hope it's okay with her that I'm sharing this, but she was signed to a label deal. I was in my second label deal at that point. Mine were on the smaller side and they were mostly hands-off, although they did suggest things to me that weren't necessarily in my wheelhouse. I gave it a go. I think her label was trying to mess with her more than mine were with me. But there's just that, that kind of general sense of like, we love what you do. And, but once we get you and we've signed you up, we're going to try to change it. That's where the song started. We bounced around a little bit because we really loved the phrase and we had a piece of music. But also a friend of mine, she was 29. I feel like I was in my early 30s. So I was playing in a big band in Los Angeles and my buddy Linda Martinez, like, composer, piano player, beautiful player, and perfect pitch. And to the point of where we all went to Japan for like a week of shows, we're in the elevator and it's bing. And she's like, oh, that's a slightly flat A flat. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so sorry that you know that. You know, a car horn. She's like, ooh, that's a C sharp, but it's a little sharp. Or like she'll hear the two notes that are in the train that's blowing by. It just never turned off. And she finally took her own life at a very young age. And the word was that she just couldn't shut it off and needed to figure out a way to turn it off. It wasn't only the perfect pitch. It wasn't only the music, but she was just 
such a, I, I mean, to me, she was just such a Wonder Woman. Like, just every solo is its own song. Just beautiful. Like, how is this pouring out of you? And I was working with her when she was like 27 or 28 years old. And she she's already who I want to be in 30 years. Like, how are you doing this? But it wasn't okay for her. Something was really wrong with it. So I brought that story in. And Georgia and I were sharing our, you know, the label says that they love this little weird little folk song, but then they want this like slicked up pop thing to be the single, (laughs) you know, like, so we were sharing that also. We realized that we could find a voice, we could find an angle on the title, Death by Perfection, that kind of covered both of those things. And then we both, as we played them out, we got audience members telling us how they really love that song about the, and then they would fill it in with what they think it's about, and it would be something different every time. Like, I had one person come up to me after show, and she said something like, oh yeah, like the plastic surgery song, <laughs> right? I get it, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I was like, well, it wasn't, but it can be. So I think we also worked hard to keep the tone in a place where you can apply your own thing, like the thing that's on your mind already, the way that the title hits you and the way that you are celebrating the fact that you're not quite Mm -hmm. perfect. However, you can find the hell yeah, imperfect friends, like (laughs) wherever you can find that. I will never correct somebody if they tell me that they think that my song is about something else because clearly that's what they wanted it to be about for them if that's how it landed for them. And that's like yet another kind of strange example of like, I'm going to write it from this one experience. You know, it started with my friend who needed to shut the voices off and it turned into what they wanted to hear and... That's like just another argument that it's okay to be specific. It's not a self-indulgent thing to be that because people are going to take it the way that they want it in the moment. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something magical about it being transferable. Yes. The relationship between music and humans is it's really powerful form of storytelling. I may want to share right now with the viewers of this listening show that you wrote the theme song for this very podcast. You are a shooting star, a lifelong stranger to solid ground. As a way of saying thanks to Maya for creating our theme song for Creativity and Captivity, I wanted to pause and shine a light on her newest music release. It's her boldest and most confessional album to date. It's called Mercy Rising, and it's available now. The fastest way to get Mercy Rising on your playlist is to go to mayasharp.com and click on the new music tab to download. I hope you enjoy it, and thank you for supporting the arts and this podcast. Heaven and hell on 
on a carousel You feel it go round and round and round and round And that came about from invitation. Let's just talk a little bit about me calling you and saying, hey, I've got this creativity podcast and I need a vibe. I want to write a song about what it's like to have a relationship with creativity. Maybe share your point of view about the process or why you even accepted the job. First of all, it was just really cool to hear from you. You know, you told me about the podcast. I don't know if you already had, you know, these ideas in your head, but you armed me with some really wonderful images that I would not have thought of myself. And you kind of took me into more of a a playful place. Like, I think you were like, you know, it's like fireflies and mud pies and... It's like the middle school friend who dares you to do stuff and like, okay, okay. All right. All right. All right. (laughs) So I think I, you know, I was thinking maybe more literally. So it was super helpful that you were hitting me with like, okay, no, no, no. Free your mind. (laughs) It's, it's okay to go back into memories. It's okay to go into, you know, kind of wildness and things that don't necessarily feel like they relate, but or don't sound like they relate, but they're going to feel like they do. So yeah, I took a swing at that. And then in our subsequent talks about it, I feel like you, you made me think about it more than I usually do. Hmm. You know, there's something in there that implies like, if you look her in the eye, she's probably going to run away. Like you have to, you know, you have to kind of treat her like the diva. It can't be too precious, for sure. You know, if you have a really good idea, the worst thing you can do is be like, like, I'm awesome. I have this great idea because then it'll just, it won't lead to shit. As soon as like any ego starts to show up, I guess, or at least for me, then everything changes and it's like, okay, you're not learning the lesson here. I get a little bit of a bitch slap and, you know, (laughs) so... So I learned to just like, okay, if it's flowing, it's flowing. I'm just, I'm going to just kind of go where it seems like it wants to take me. And your images were just a really good start to the tone and then the playfulness of it. So hopefully we brought all that. Here's what's great. So you brought that la, la, la. The song is now called the la, 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 la la song. But what was really interesting is the conversations that we had about the muse, right? About what is this thing and when does it come in the room? And I don't even know that we use this lyric in the end, but that she knows your secrets that she can't always keep. Meaning if you reveal something, it might go out into the universe in, in your song or in a play or in some other form. And she's also the one that, you know, gets a second wind at night and says, write this down now, or I'm not, I'm not going to tell it to you again tomorrow morning. Then she disappears. So We kind of looked at it as a complex relationship with somebody that you wouldn't really put up with from a normal friend, but you're dependent on it, on the muse. She tells you secrets that you can't always keep. To me was when you start to write something and you don't realize that it's from a true place. Like you think you're doing this like assignment thing, or you think that you're writing somebody else's story. And halfway through, you're like, oh, Jesus, it's that. It's that (laughs) thing that I was trying to ignore or that I was, you know, trying to tell myself wasn't a big deal and I can handle it and everything's fine. And it just, it's going to bubble up. It's going to show up. So, I mean, for me, the overall road of all of this, the stage right before I realized like it's okay to just focus on the true stuff, that 
pre-true stage was this. Every time I thought that I was starting something that was somebody else's story or something that I was, somebody asked me to write about, the truth would just show up. She's like, I will not be denied. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're keen to recognize it though. I think sometimes people will shut something down like that. If I tell people that they might not like me, right? It becomes this vanity place of protection. Or it just might not be exciting enough or interesting enough for a song. But then more people relate to it always than you think. Every single time I thought that I was alone, I wasn't. Expressing the song and having it out there helps every time. I wanted to make sure that we didn't frame the muse as this like magical fairy who finds some of us and not other of us. It's not like it's flowing through somebody from this like external source and we're waiting for it to show up. I firmly believe that within our giant brains, of which we only use three to five (laughs) percent, we are storing images and feelings and seemingly disconnected ideas. And then when that little lightning strike of that other idea or that other image or that other feeling just happens to be the recipe, that last little ingredient in the recipe, and they're like, oh, and then you can bring it all together. But it didn't come from some external place. It didn't flit down onto your shoulder. (laughs) It's in the gray matter. It's in there. And I think it's important that we give ourselves the credit because when you speak out loud, especially (laughs) about how it found you or how it worked through you, you kind of helped to devalue it. Like it was a gift from somebody. It came to you for free. Well, if the message that art of any kind, painting, writing, photography, whatever, you know, the message that that kind of inspiration is coming to you for free from some other place makes it easier for people to consider it to be less valuable. And they're like, well, then why shouldn't it be free for me? And that's an ongoing fight for all of us. I agree that it's not a magical wood nymph that is flying into the window, but I do think that it's within us in a way that we can keep a firewall from allowing it to happen. We can distract ourselves. We can busy ourselves. We can live in our inbox. People are sort of afraid of silence. They're afraid of boredom. They're afraid of allowing their imagination because, again, we've become overwhelmed with the technology to keep us from getting bored. We can put on a different story or play a different game and our character can fight the struggle that we should be fighting ourselves. I think finding a way to open up or allow Mm -hmm. it to happen, if there's a combination lock, it's about getting out of your own way or doing other things to inform living in a way that you are observing it differently or experiencing it differently. Everyone's capable of creative epiphanies and creating amazing things if they give themselves permission. Yes, I think so too. And if they can stand the stillness for long enough, you do have to dig in a little bit and you have to be okay with it not maybe showing up right away, but you know that it's in there. And it's easier to just kind of go to your phone, but if you give it a minute, it might actually show (laughs) from within you. Now, you grew up with a songwriter father. I know your dad, Randy, uh-huh. and your mom was a professor of anthropology or? Uh-huh. Okay. Anthropology is the story of life and development, right? So what kind of a foundation was that for you to have those two parents? 
I mean, anthropology and songwriting, I think, are very, very similar. It's just observing how humans are with each other, <laughs> you know, how we've evolved or not. <laughs> they actually met singing together in a band in a high school. They are both very musical. Music was always in the house. Mom went back to school, I think, when she was 29 or 30 and went all the way through and became a professor at UCLA, taught anthropology, women's studies. It always kind of felt like it was a related thing. They are definitely on the same wavelength. And you did write a song with your dad. You wrote A Home, uh-huh. which was a big hit for the chicks. And it was on one of your albums, I think, right? I can't remember. It was. It was on my album, Fine Upstanding Citizen. Right. That's a great album. Anybody who doesn't know your work will be able to find it all on iTunes and Spotify and all places out there. You have a new album coming out, which is called Mercy Rising. That'll be out uh, March or April. But the first song is out. I heard a song from that that's already on your website, I believe, which is mayasharp.com, M-A-I-A, for those that don't know. But that first single is called Whatever We Are. Mm -hmm. And it's a great song. And it's really beautiful perspective on love, I think, in a way, just human love. Well, thank you. That falls under the category of very real, just had to be told. And I wrote it with two very good friends, Iros Gonetta partner, Anna Schulze, and great songwriter here in Nashville, Thomas Fincham. And the three of us got together. I had the first verse and the whatever we are approach. And I really wanted to write it from the point of view of kind of a slightly more evolved version of me, because <laughs> I, I wasn't really feeling that zen about the situation quite yet. I was carrying around a little bit of resentment and I want to love you, but sometimes it's really freaking hard, you know, but I wrote it from this point of view of the person that's just like, you know what, if we're in the back of your car, if we're long over, if we never should have been, if we're a cliche, if we're going to come back around some point, if we never are, if we never talk, if we talk every day, I love you. That's where I, I wanted to be. And I thought, okay, if we can make this song really occupy that mind I'm going to sing this thing as many times as I can, as often as I can. And I do. Every time I have an opportunity to do one song or two songs, I will choose that one every single time. Because every time I feel like I get a little closer to being her. Kicking the habit or up in the dose. Two airplanes flying uncomfortably close Leftover light from a long gone Yeah, that's the first time that I've ever 
used it as a tool for that, but it really has helped. I'm not quite her, but I'm definitely closer to her than I was when I only had a verse. It's nice that you can have your own training wheels on the bike and take them off when you're ready, you know? Yeah. Is there something else from the album that you want to play for? I mean, I I don't want to be, it's a great opportunity to amplify your voice if you're up for it. It would be awesome to hear something. I think I'm up. Especially something new. Okay, good. You're going to share with us now one of your new songs for Mercy Rising. This is Backburner. I wrote this with my friend, Anna Schulze. I tried to put you on the backburner. Let you simmer on low While I tended to the party And the overflow So you wouldn't boil over I'd give a little stir Maybe take a little taste just to make sure It's a hell of a way to say Turn the flame up higher When I put you on the back burner, you set the place on fire. Oh, the party got awkward. I hope I didn't let them down. I just couldn't keep my cool with you dancing around. And there's still champagne and I still want you. And maybe I was hoping this is what you do. you on the back burner you set the place on fire on fire the corner of my eye the edge of my mind couldn't hold you anymore a little patience a little time is all I was asking for I had a dream that you waited for me But like a lot of dreams go I woke up in the ash of the afterglow It's a hell of a way to pay for my desire And it's a hell of a way to say Turn the flame up higher I try to put you on the back burner I try to put you on the back burner When I put you on the back burner You set the place on fire On fire You set the place on fire Oh, that's awesome. I love it. It's like a house party. These days, (laughs) everything's a house party these days. Yeah, everything's a Zoom house party. (laughs) We have a wide variety of listeners, but having talked to a lot of different disciplines, all related to creativity from animators to directors to writers to aerialists to cellists to all kinds of things, I always like to see if there's something from your world, whether it's cooking or, you know, writing or inspiration that you're able to share that gives a little creative spark or boost to folks that's something they can pick up on and run with. I don't know that I have a regular thing that I do before a project, but I I do have a thing that I do when I feel like I'm a little stuck. 
you know, some way to kind of get past, you know, to find a flow again of any kind. Oh, an unstuck idea is a great thing to share. It isn't going to change the world, but there are a couple of books that I go to. Bird by Bird is one of them. I'm sure you're familiar. Anne Lamott. Absolutely love her. And Earth Poems by Charles Bukowski. And it's not even a literal thing. It's not like I lift words from them. They just put my brain in a place that's more open to finding it now. I'm so captivated by their writing that it helps me to forget me a little bit and get out of my own way. And then now I'm just kind of more free flowing. And it's funny, it's kind of along the same lines as, you know, the words that you sent over to me. You're like, I'm thinking, you know, fireflies and mud pies. And it put me in a kind of more open, kind of more fluid place where it's not just like, this is the thing that I do, but it's, well, maybe I'm going to do this, you know, kind of wacky thing now. Both of those, when I'm really stuck, I will reach for one or both of those, Earth Poems or Bird by Bird. Anne Lamott in Bird by Bird has a great thing that she says about critics and reviewers. She says a critic is somebody who walks in after the war and judges the wounded. It's somebody who doesn't go through this process of creating and understanding how difficult it is. So there's some amazing stuff, and that's definitely on my recommended reading list, Bird by Bird. I probably bought it four times. And anytime I see somebody who I feel like should have it, I just give it away. Or I've had it in a suitcase and who knows what happened to it, whatever. But I feel like I've purchased it numerous times. I do that with a few books myself. And what's funny is it's like I see the book sitting in the bookstore and I go, this needs to be out in the world somewhere. Like I'll just buy it again and put it in a pile to give to somebody. I want to release it. We don't need any more entertainment in containment here. We need to get it out in the world. Can you give us a little la-la-las? Do you want me to just play the tune? Yeah. Here we go. The la-la song. La-la-la-la-la. La-la-la-la-la. You got a blank page, an empty stage. You're over there daydreaming. La-la-la-la-la. La, 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 la. And those mud pies and fireflies, you're finding some deep meaning. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. If you don't try to chase her, she might whisper in your ear. If you ever look her in the eye, she might just disappear. She's a middle school friend. Who dares you to do the craziest things and you do them? That is Maya Sharp with the theme from Creativity and Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel, and on behalf of my executive producer, Amanda Rosenberg, this has been a an extraordinary conversation with Maya Sharp. Maya, thank you for sharing that and all your insights on the music business and songwriting and just life in general. I'm grateful to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me, really. It's really nice to talk to you, Pat. Everyone, keep an eye out for her new CD coming out soon. And it is Mercy Rising. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe, and you will always have an invitation to join us for more creative conversations that offer a spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative under whiz-bang producer Amanda Rosenberg, with editing by soundsmith Casey Franco. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp. Please feel free to reach out with your input or to share a review through social media on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or 
visit our website at creativityandcaptivity.fun. That's right, it's dot .fun, because dot .com is not fun. Cheers. The curse of creativity. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. La, 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 la.